Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, if you are a fan of Ben and Sierra on Days, the week ahead is must-see. So after months, and I do mean months, apart, uh, the duo will finally reunite when Ben finds Sierra's lair and rescues her from Evan's evil clutches. Now, I spoke to Rob Wilson, who plays Ben for this particular beat, and he really thanked the fans for hanging in as long as they have, but he warns them to brace themselves because there is a twist ahead. Um, I also spoke to Jack A. Harry about joining the show as Paulina. So I know you and I have touched on this before, but I was so excited to ask her about playing Another World's Lily. And she told me that Linda Dano was, in her words, her guru over there, taught her so much about the business, had a dress, and she said she was just an angel to her. And Jack Hay is aware that Linda recently did a stint on Days as Vivian. And while she was disappointed they didn't cross paths in Salem, she's totally in touch with Linda. So that definitely softened the blow. It doesn't soften the blow for me. I would have loved to have seen the two of them on screen together again, but oh well. We've also spoken about Katie McLean wrapping up her stint as Jennifer on Days. And I talked to her for the new issue and uh, she really just had such a positive experience on the show and also really thanked the fans for giving her a fair shake. You know, obviously she was coming in at a pivotal story moment for a character made beloved by a different actress, and that's never ideal. But I think she did a great job, and it really meant so much to her to be received well by the audience. I also, of course, had to ask her about what it was like to have her husband, John Lindstrom, who plays Kevin and Ryan on GH, come into the day's studio to share an on-screen smooch with her as a body double for Matt Ashford's Jack. And she gave him and his lips five stars for their performance. You know, I'm actually so happy you asked her about that because we had not spoken, she and I, like during the time it happened. And so I actually was sort of curious about what all went down there. So thank you, Mara. It was very satisfying. <laughs> um, another fun story I did for the new issue is an interview with Erica Pellicini, who is the executive fashion consultant on Bold and Beautiful. Now, she was hired a few months ago, and I have immediately like noticed a big difference on camera. I mean, not that the show didn't look great before. Costume designer Glenda Maddox has done an amazing job over the years. 
but there's more of a couture vibe going on right now, which for a show that's based around a fashion house, you know, makes sense. Like they should be wearing clothes that I couldn't even think of buying. These are multimillionaires who live in Los Angeles, you know? And I feel like B&B of all the four shows has more of an aspirational feel to it. You know, the way they use Los Angeles as a backdrop with the big houses and the sweeping beat shots. And, you know, it just like having a more upscale look wardrobe wise seems more appropriate. Yeah. I always appreciate when shows invest in how the show looks, you know, in wardrobe, like B&B is clearly doing. And on GH, there are so many new and or updated and refreshed sets. Like Scott finally has an actual penthouse. He had been living at the Metro Court for God knows how long. Uh, the Port Charles Grill is back. I just feel like it may be tempting for shows to rest on their laurels and not open up the purse strings for things like that. But it makes such a difference in the on-screen product when they do. Oh, it definitely does. And we watch these shows every day, so you really notice it. And it just makes it more, like, interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, we also talked to the stars in Soap's Hottest Stories for a special section in the new issue. And I want to say that I just loved that bold and beautiful Scott Clifton said that if he put his fan hat on, he would want Liam to lose everything. Now, Scott gets so much flack online for his alter ego waffling between Stephanie and Hope. But he's so cool about it and has such a good handle on his character and like an understanding of the way the show is written. Because really, bottom line, when everyone is happy, there's not a lot of drama or conflict, which is ultimately what makes for good storylines. Yeah, Scott's interview is so good. And so is Annika Noel's, who plays Hope. But the whole section is a really great read. Uh, I, I also, uh, let's touch on a big bit of casting news that we haven't discussed yet, uh, which is Richard Berge joining YNR as Ashlyn Locke, AKA the Loch Ness Monster, a character that has been discussed a lot in recent weeks and is finally coming to town. I am so glad that the show got an actor of his caliber for this part because I feel like he is going to make a big impact both in terms of the percolating business storyline about who will end up with his company, and then on the relationship front, we fans know going in that Kyle had a dalliance with his wife and there is a child involved, and he was honest with Summer about it, and that is so refreshing, I think. Kyle is such a popular pairing, and I am kind of just tired of storylines where the man is keeping a secret from the woman or vice versa. I want to see a couple facing a conflict together as a team, and that looks like what we are going to see here. You know, I'm not saying that it's going to be smooth sailing for Kyle, but it seems like the show has set up a really interesting journey for the characters to go on uh, together, and that's what soaps are all about. I could not agree more, and I am so excited for his debut on March 9th, but lucky us, he is also our guest today, so let's get him on the phone and see how his trip to Genoa City came about. Hi, Richard. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so well, much for joining us. It still is morning where you guys are. Right? <laughs> Ish. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, my math is off. Yeah, he missed it by eight minutes. Missed it by that much. Yeah. Um, well, we are so happy you could be with us today. I'm looking forward to getting to know much more about you. So let's start that you were raised in Montclair, New Jersey, not too far out of New York City. Uh, you and your brother both ended up in the arts. He's an acclaimed drummer who has toured with Hall & Oates and Meatloaf, recorded with Diana Ross, and is currently Billy Joel's drummer. Yeah. So what do you attribute this to, that both of the Bergie boys were drawn to creative professions? You know, my mom and dad were really into the creative arts, involved in the local theater and, uh, you know, uh, 
community music scene. So my brother grew up playing in some really amazing bands with an incredible array of, of people connected. My dad had invited, you know, neighbors and, you know, kids that would stop by to listen to music. Joe Walsh was one of them uh, from the Eagles. And then he brought his mom over and we used to have these crazy jam sessions in, the, in our, our house. It was really, yeah, it was really a beautiful time. Really, really beautiful time. And so, yeah, I just, you know, was steeped in it and had a drum set upstairs, drum set downstairs where my brother and his pl friends played. The piano was up there, stand-up bass. So, yeah, it was uh, – my mother, God love her, you know, years and years of drums, two drums sometimes. Wow. Yeah. So did you ever consider pursuing a musical career? I did. I, I actually auditioned for a band in 1986. And they asked me to, you know, play and it really required a lot of commitment. And so I realized, wow, I'm working here and, you know, I was, hadn't got my first uh, 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 contract role. So once I did, like on Another World, it, it's just, it's, it's really too difficult to commit to two. Uh, and, and plus I watched my brother and a, a drummer is the guy that schleps all of his own stuff, stuff to all these clubs. And, and, you know, if they get a hit or they make it big, Great, like someone like my brother, when he's with Billy, somebody comes and picks him up and gets all of his equipment and whisks him into Manhattan for you know the show in Madison Square Garden, or they go on a jet to go away. But then he comes home and he's playing with these other smaller bands, and he has to schlep his own equipment. So he's, you know, I saw him like, and we had another guy who grew up in my house that was kind of like a third brother, uh, who was a big influence on my brother musically. And I watched him travel all over the country. His, the back of his old transmission was loaded with musical equipment. And, and it was beautiful, but completely insane. So I really like going to work very lightly and, you know, <clears throat> having somebody put makeup on me. You know, <laughs> so that was in 1986. And that same year, as you mentioned, you landed your first contract role on Another World playing Chad Rolo. So tell us about your Another World experience. Well, you know, it's so funny. You just mentioned Ryan. Uh, like my first job was on a show called Ryan's Hope. And one of the stage managers is now on Y&R. And it was really wild. Like he said, you know, you and I worked in 1985 or whatever it was on Ryan's Hope. And then I went to Guiding Light for a while. But another world, it, I had, uh, you know, I had made a living as in construction and uh, studying at night. And then I, you know, was, uh, had a job teaching squash at the New York Athletic Club, whatever I could do to make, make ends meet. I had no aptitude for waiting, waitering or bartending. A buddy of mine and I, you know, tried getting jobs. So when I got a job uh, being able to pay my bills full time, I remember driving this old 1970 Tornado that me and a buddy of mine from Jersey, we used to work in the Carpenters Union in Manhattan, up in, uh, up in Harlem, right on the water there. On the new, it's the New York sewage treatment plant. That was, I helped build that. Thank you, know, thank you. Yeah, yeah, right there. And so uh, I remember driving uh, up the West Side Highway and just, just sort of crying, thinking, oh, I wish my dad was here. Like I can pay my bills and I'm gonna, this is so crazy. It was just so crazy, so. That experience was so beautiful. Uh, it was out in uh, the old Esther Williams, Douglas Fairbanks Studios in Brooklyn. And, and you know, back in the day, we everybody was smoking on set. This wonderful actor, Doug Watson, who has a, a decorated war hero in World War II, was, you know, the, the, the lion of the pride and, and had all these, like, um, what was her name? God almighty. She had been in 
silent movies um, back in the day. Constance Ford. Connie Ford. It was it was just it was just spectacular. Not only just you know were we working where Douglas Fairbanks and uh, Esther Williams made these movies, but we're out in the middle of nowhere. And and then came the Cosby Show right next door. So it was a really interesting time, and that that was just so much fun. It was. John Weitzel, the executive producer, was a gem of, still is a gem of a human being and, and one of my favorite people. Uh, and he just really had a, a knack for bringing out a lot of good stuff and all the actors and creating this great ensemble. So I, I had so much fun and it just provided me with the chops so I could do, you know, movies or, you know, nighttime. It was like, that's all we're doing today? <laughs> How many times do you want to do this? You know, it was, yeah. Because it was such a crazy crucible. And I was a lot less disciplined then. Mm -hmm. Go figure. You know, late 20s. <laughs> yeah. Late 20s and, you know, yeah. Well, I have very vivid memories of you in Bay City. Um, but after two years, you popped up as the doomed soap opera producer on One Life to Live and then a reporter, Glenn Harrington, on As the World Turns. So you were really making the rounds in the New York soaps. You know, yeah. what was that like for you and what do you remember about the other two shows? Well, One Life to Live, uh, I, my, I was dating a, she was very popular on, at the time. We had met on Another World. And uh, she and I had, I, had, um, I, you know, I was out bird watching this morning, and um, I, we rescued this little bird in Central Park. It was a baby uh, mockingbird that had fallen out of its nest. So I had gone to the audition with this bird in a shoebox, and she and I were kind of making all this racket. And and I get a call from my uh, uh, manager at the time, or agent, I forget, who said, "What did you do? Uh, they they think you're kind of crazy." <laughs> And I, I, you know, I probably had bird poop on me and, and, and Paul Roush, you know, it's over the sweat, sweaters over the shoulders, you know, real efficient producer, completely different than White. So White was like, Fergie, put that down here. And, you know, he was so sweet and easy. I got the job and, and uh, I guess he just had it out for me and he came up, put the arm around my shoulder and everybody walks away when he comes on set. It's terrifying. And, you know, anyway, he, he just didn't like, I, I got fired for some arbitrary reason. And then I got to on another As the World Turns, <clears throat> which was super fun, work with some amazing people. So after World Turns, uh, you moved to Los Angeles. You know, what prompted you to switch coasts? You know, my old manager at the time, God love her, she's such a, she's such a character. Um, she was this real fiery old broad from Brooklyn. And she said, Richard, you've got to get out of town. Get out of here. You, and I was, I was going through this crazy time with this old girlfriend and um, I was kind of trying to help her and, and really kind of let, let go of my own world. So I, I just packed up my car and uh, my dog and moved to LA. Uh, had a, I had done, when I got off As the World Turns, I had done a pilot for a man named Glenn Larson. And Glenn Larson did, uh, good God, McLeod and Quincy and Fall Guy and uh, Magnum and uh, Battlestar Galactica and Knight Rider. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I did an <clears throat> audition for a show he was doing called Strange Bedfellows or something like that. And um, uh, so I, I was able to, who did I, I worked with Farley Granger on one, uh, As Well Turns, I think. I believe it was. And I got to meet with right? Stuart Granger. I got to work with Stuart Granger, whose real name was James Stewart, <clears throat> on this pilot in 1988 or 9, 88, I think it was. I don't know. So I, got, I met Glenn, uh, and I did this pilot for NBC. 
um, which is pretty cool. I didn't have, uh, uh, I don't know if I tested for that, but uh, so I had an agent. I went down, out there. My, my old manager had arranged for me to meet you know, a bunch of agents and I met my current agent. I've been with them ever since. So I had an agent, my brother lived out there and, and um, I just needed to really change my life and, and get on and get on with it instead of trying to help, you know, fix somebody else's. Mm -hmm. Well, shortly thereafter, you landed on Days of Our Lives as film producer Philip Collier, another role I remember quite well. Um, he was engaged to Kimberly in the thick of her multiple personality disorder. So what do you remember about your time in Salem? I remember that uh, she was really, really fun. And it was a, uh, a departure from so many of the other shows because I could ad lib. And, you know, I had done a, a you know, some sitcoms and I did a couple pilots and blah, blah, blah. So I guess they gave me, you know, when I went in, I kind of made her laugh with some of my ad libbing. So we, we had a really lovely time. Well, one fun trivia bit about Philip Collier is that uh, he actually produced one of the adult films that the character of Billy Reed starred in. Do you ever run into Lisa Rinna and remind her of the tawdry fictional past that you share with her? No, but I know both she and Harry, and I haven't seen her in forever. Uh, and I think the last time we got together, we made had some small talk reference about it because I always get confused where I know yeah, where I've worked with sure. everybody from. I remember seeing Janine Turner way back and she was on some big show and then I was like, oh, if we worked on another world and uh, yeah, I keep forgetting who I worked with where. And so I, I no, I never said anything to Lisa, but she's had, she's had quite a, a busy time. Oh, she's yeah. not okay. <laughs> well, we also want to touch on a few of the projects you took part in between your daytime appearances. So first tell us about Seinfeld, where in 1994 you played a doctor in the Hamptons who caught the eye of Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Elaine. So much fun. What a great show. I mean, it was one of those things. I didn't even really know what the show was about. Uh, and I went in and I just, I just made this choice to sort of play this doctor who was completely self-absorbed, who reminded me of some doctor friends of mine who, would, you know, you'd be talking to them and they'd be staring off. And I just, you know, and when I did that, I you know, Jerry was like, How, what did you do? Why did you do that? I love that. Like, you know, so, you know, that was kind of the whole thing. But being a part of it was really delightful. You know, people think that that all, you know, happens so spontaneously, but he works it and rehearses it. And one of the hardest working guys I've, I've uh, had the pleasure to uh, be around uh, and, and, you know, taping in front of a live audience and just gooping around. It was so fun. It was so silly. And the material is just just such a blast. So on YNR, uh, the executive, Marina. Tony Marina, it's his favorite show and a couple others. And they, oh, and Eric Braden, the first time I meet Eric, he, he says, it's a very ugly baby or something, <laughs> <laughs> which was the whole thing. Or, uh, he, he was a big fan of Seinfeld. He always wants to have a cup of coffee and go in his room and, you know, BS about, uh, 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 you know, Seinfeld and other, <laughs> other shows. He's he, talking about a lovely human being. All of them so far. So, yeah. But Seinfeld was wonderful. Uh, and then I did a bunch of other sitcoms. I was just, I think the last show I did before YNR was the Vicki Lawrence pilot. Uh, another claim to fame is that as we get later into the 90s, uh, you starred opposite Cheryl Ladd in the Hawaii set CBS series One West Waikiki. And then uh, several seasons of The Sentinel for UPN. Uh, that show was actually canceled and then brought back by popular demand yeah. after the fervent fan campaign. How, yeah. What an interesting turn of fate. So what was that like to have fans rally around your show and reverse its fate, at least for a time? 
Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, getting back to One West Waikiki, that show premiered. The pilot was in the top 10, I believe, as a pilot. And CBS uh, was changing guard at the time. And um, I guess Glenn fell out of favor. It was another Glenn Larson show. And, you know, each regime brings in their sort of foot soldiers in the production realm. And, um, and so it got picked up and it was brilliant working in Hawaii, but working in Vancouver was really magic. My, my son was born there. I, I just, I absolutely adore uh, Canada and Vancouver. Uh, and it was really strange to have a couple of people come up to me and start a fan club and, and say, Hey, you know, we want to start a fan club. <laughs> so it had such a following. It was um, the reason I think the, uh, executives were compelled to uh, prolong it. It was a fun show. The people involved were really wonderful. I had produced some great stuff. Um, UPF, UPN was trying to find its legs. Um, and it, yeah, it was really super uh, taxing and, and enjoyable. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I must hear what stands out to you about your role as the extraterrestrial husband of Young and Restless alum Susan Walters in the TV movie, I Married a Monster. Somebody, you know, I'd never realized as Susie was on one Y&R, I just, when I was, oh, I was doing the wardrobe fitting and the guy had said so. And I, she is one of my favorite people. She is hilarious. And then she and I got to do something after that. I forget what it was, um, but that was, that was absolutely insane. Uh, it was just a ton of fun. We, we shot it in San Diego and Susie is just a gem to work with. She's so talented, such a goofball. Uh, so smart, but like doesn't take herself serious, you know, pokes, she just like, like any just great actor that, that has a, a just a heap of, of self-effacing, you know, uh, poke fun at themselves way of doing things. Her character is Kyle's mother. Oh, is that right? Mm -hmm. So. Boy, well, I hear now she, circle. Yeah. I hear she's moved back to the, uh, to the West Coast and, um. God, that would be, that, I would love to see her again work. That would be hilarious. You know, uh, I don't know. I, she's, uh, you know, I've got a six in front of my, my age and I think she's probably got a five and it'd be interesting to see, you know, 30 years later or whatever it was, 20 or five, something years later. I married a monster too, coming soon. Yeah. 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 No, I, I watched the original in black and white and I tried to, uh, you know, bring as much honor to that as I could, but clearly oh. she had been having too much fun. I never even saw it. it was, <laughs> <laughs> like most so of moving into the new millennium, you were in serious contention for the lead role on 24, which of course ultimately went to Kiefer Sutherland. And then you wound up playing uh, a different but pivotal role on the show's first season. Uh, one of my favorite shows. What was your experience of 24 and working with Kiefer and the whole creative gang behind it? Yeah, Joel was really, really sweet. Uh, you know, Kiefer was terrific and is terrific. He, he uh, did a great job. And, and so Joel called me and said, uh, Joel, sir, now, uh, you know, we have a role. We'd like you to be a part of it. And I said, great, sounds good. Whatever you guys are doing, I'm in. And uh, it was super fun to, it was, you know, again, we just laughed and had so much fun. And um, being with Kiefer at night was always, always uh, very interesting. Uh, he, he, um, uh, he likes to have a good time. So the, the show was, you know, super dramatic, but like, so many other ones I've done, it, it creates the, it's polar opposite. And I'm always, you know, looking for silly stuff to do. And, 
I remember one time I had this, for some reason I had this deer, uh, it was like you could pull it over your head and it was a deer, you know, it was a deer mask thingy rubber. And as we were shooting out in the woods and I, I would put it on and poke my head around the corner before, you know, okay, action, just goof around. I, I just, cause the crew is there and it's always so intense. And I just wanted, I was like making people laugh and making an ass of myself. So, uh, that's what I remember most is, is that. And then going into some, like, I remember being called in to read for this, uh, sitcom and the casting director had said, God, I hate you. You are so evil because of what I, you know, the turn the character did. And I thought, well, this is getting off on a good foot here for <laughs> what, a, what an evil person I am. But yeah, so it was, it, it was a pretty heavy show. People were really blown away by that. That was one yeah. of those really heavy twists and a big, big show that, uh, started that whole chain of crazy twists that 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 show was known for but that one especially was so wacky because you know it was a pretty evil thing to do <laughs> but she kind of deserved it <laughs> <laughs> well another show that was a huge cultural phenomenon uh was desperate housewives and in 2004 you began playing terry hatcher's ex-husband carl who ultimately had his way with several of the leading ladies on the show including the characters Played by Mark. So, so, yeah, no, it's so funny. I went, I, re I, I read the script, De Desperate Housewives, loved the name, loved the idea, liked the writing. Went in, I met Mark Cherry and the director at the time, and they started bickering. Subsequently, I had uh, been offered to do this show, or I might have gone in to read for it, that Susie Walters had done called Point Pleasant. Mm -hmm. So I called my, my manager at the time and said, you know, uh, I, I said, this, this, with Desperate Housewives, it seems like chaos, and I kind of don't want to be around it right now. Uh, and he said, it's, that, that's probably a good idea, because he said, I think what they really want is this guy who had a contract for ABC, the show was canceled, Jamie Denton, and I, they, and I think you might be the second choice for this character, the plumber. And I said, yeah, yeah, whatever it is, I, I, I'm, I, let's go, and I'm going to do this show down in San Diego. And that's when I worked with Susie on a show called Point Pleasant. That's right. I thank you for jogging my memory, which was tremendous. I could drive south. But I didn't have to drive to L.A. I could surf on the way. We had tons of fun. And then that show was canceled. And then they asked me to come in and read for uh, uh, this guy, Carl Mayer. And mm -hmm. that, that was just super fun. Yeah. I mean, you got to work with Marsha Cross, Nicolette Sheridan, as well as Terry. As we mentioned, the show was just huge. Uh, what was it like to just be part of that you know, show and just the explosion, then attention? Yeah. That? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was really crazy because I've never experienced that. You know, I've been a part of a lot of shows throughout my life. And to have something with that sort of impact was really crazy. Uh, you know, not only do people that you haven't seen in forever reach out to you, it's nice to have that, that you know, sense of, uh, of reach and connectivity with people. But it also is awkward. I can see where huge superstars have a hard time with you know, being perceived in this way that might not really comport or dovetail with their, uh, um, you know, inner self. Uh, I made the choice to have Carl be just this really, you know, sort of unhinged, uh, loose, free, wacko. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, a little more contained to a degree. I don't know. But um, <laughs> so it was really wild to be a part of that kind of a phenomenon. Um, and, you know, it also can shoot you in the foot, you know, they sort of pigeonhole you to be this, this kind of character for certain things. I remember going on a whole string of meetings or auditions that, that were, you know, try and recreate that kind of character or energy uh, around a show. And yeah, so 
but it was it was super fun. I, I had so much fun in that show. It was just absolutely delicious every day, just just a joy. And you know, given all the latitude in the world to play and the crew and just the writing. And then it, it got a little more weird towards the end where Mark Cherry started to micromanage it. I would say the same thing to him because it started off a certain way. And it, you know, he was it was his his prerogative to come in and deal with that. But he was much more hands-off the first couple of years. And then it became much more micromanaged from there. Um, so, eh, you know, it changed, changed guards at the top, but we all still had fun, but it was a little more, uh, I don't know, restricted towards, towards the end. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, the tightening of the noose and finally it hung itself. He clearly liked what you did because he hired you, right, again, uh, for Devious Maids to play Henri, the brother of Susan Lucci. So what was it like to share the stage with Susan Lucci? Well, you know, another uh, iconic figure of daytime and extraordinary uh, talent, uh, such a professional and such a sweet soul. Uh, she's just a, a, a love. Uh, and, and I don't hear anything, you know, other than that, she's, as I, I think most women or men that have done daytime, it is such a grind and it's such a humble crucible, a humbling crucible that, it, you, you know, you don't have the, the sort of ephemeral up and downs of, of maybe being on a nighttime show or having a movie and it goes really wild or I, I'm not sure what it is, but I rarely find people on daytime with these difficulties uh, of ego problems. And, and Susie was one of those, uh, Susan Lucy was one of those, like could have been such a diva and a, and a difficult person to work with, but just the opposite, super fun, loose, professional and ready to play and work. And yeah, it was, that was super fun. And Mark's, Mark's really super uh, uh, talented. And I, I wish that show had gone on further. And oh yeah, I loved that show. That was way gone too soon. There was so mm -hmm. much more to play there, mm -hmm. and then, and so many good actors and actresses on it. Like yeah. seems, you know, just a shame. Yeah, yeah. And again, you never know what people come in at the top that might have a, a bone to pick or an axe to grind with someone of of that success. So I don't know. I have no idea the workings on at that level, but you know, uh, and and it might might have been the last couple of years on Desperate to keep you know that the network was stepping on his toes. I, I have no idea, but um, just so much fun to work with. Really creative, really bright and funny. And uh, but yeah, that Desperate uh, Devious Maids was uh, Atlanta, I think, and just mm -hmm. yeah, so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Susan, I went. I, I did, uh, you guys would probably know what is she doing now. She's Susan. doing glamorous poolside photo shoots on her Instagram. You got to check it out. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of dabble in that world. My wife sort of gets me in on and off, but I, 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 that whole social media thing is very bizarre to me. Mm -hmm. uh, well, no, she's been, she's, uh, I think, been in New York and she has, uh, you know, worked here and there, uh, has family, you know, lots of grandkids. So yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. She's doing quite well. You came back to daytime in 2015 to play Paul Hornsby on General Hospital, and I was very upset when Paul was revealed to be the Derisa Fall killer and written out the following year. But to focus on the positive, Richard, you had the opportunity on that show to work with three top-notch Emmy-winning Port Charles leading ladies, and we'd love to hear uh, what you have to say about them, starting with Jane Elliott, who played Tracy. Oh God, Jane, she's amazing. She is, uh, again, really, really acerbic, funny, smart, and super talented. And um, 
you know, ha having done that show for so long, she still took it every day, like, you know, really, really, um, no, not just seriously, but a as a full commitment. And, you know, sometimes I've worked with people that, you know, uh, kind of take it easy or give me the cards. I'll, I'll use the cards. I don't know if they, uh, some shows still do that, but, yeah, we, you know, we just, we had so much fun working together and, uh, um, I know that they were phasing out uh, Tony Geary at the time. Um, so I think they brought me in there to torture everybody. Uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, to kind of distract from him leaving. Uh, and who is the other gal? Well, you worked with Finola Hughes, who plays Anna. Oh, Finola, another. She's, wow. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, Finola is super talented. Uh, really bright, funny. We had a ton of fun working together. Um, and I just chose to to go in this weird way and I probably scared the heck out of them. Uh, but, you know, I just thought the character was it, like daytime. It's just one of those things that you can really kind of camp it up. And, and I just made the choice to, you know, like reveal this really ugly side of, of him. I hoped I didn't you know, scare Finola, but she's, <laughs> she's really, really wonderful and funny. God. Yeah. And then there's uh, Maura West who played Ava and also, by the way, Played Diane, same role as Susan Walters on YNR. Also um, played Kyle's mother, but Maura yeah. West and you were great together. She she is a love. She's super. Again, really really talented. A lot of fun to work with. I think I probably pissed her off one day because I went out and had this big Italian food, and I think it was when Jeff was leaving the show. She and I had a love scene. I had all this garlic, and it was totally not intentional. I just, you know, I'm always, I love garlic because, you know, you're working with people and I just love garlic, A, for its taste, but also because it's such a great, you know, blood cleanser and it keeps you healthy and immune system builder and blah, blah, blah. But I, like, I forgot I had a, a, a love scene with her. And I don't know if she ever forgave me for that. <laughs> yeah, it was totally unintentional and I felt really crappy. Was like, what is she, a crappy thing to do? <laughs> But she, again, I was just so blessed to be able to work with these these extraordinary women. All three of them, just mm -hmm. brilliant. Well, you were great on that show. Uh, Mar and I were talking about it when you got cast on YNR, how great you had been on GH and how we couldn't wait to see what you did here. Um, now, obviously, the job market has been a little different for actors in the last year in light of the pandemic. So how would you describe your life in the last year? And how's your family been? Everybody's good. Uh, thanks for asking. Surfing, biking a lot. Spending a lot of time with my kids down here in Orange County. It's a lot more open. Laguna Beach was closed down. And I could just ride my bike over the hill and go to Salt Creek. And so I, I really didn't, you know, skip a beat. <clears throat> I was supposed to do a show with um, Katie Seagal mm -hmm. for ABC called Rebel. Yep. Uh, um, and then COVID hit. And so they paid me, which was really lovely, uh, some stick around money. And then in December, we picked it back up. And I had to go up to test, you know, for COVID, wardrobe to get on the lot. We were shooting over at Sunset Gower. And so they had a little, you know, testing area like they do at, at CBS and every other place. And so I, I think I tested negative up until like two days before I was going to shoot. I tested positive. They had a recast. Uh, Adam Arkin, the gentleman who was directing it, um, was really, really sweet and called me and, and said, look, I'm really sorry about it, you know. I'm doing your role and blah, 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 blah. Because, they, you know, they couldn't recast it that quickly. Uh, and then two days later, I tested uh, negative. So um, whether I had it or not, I had something. 
I, you know, cause there's a bunch of COVIDs out there, not just 19. Mm-hmm. I was offered uh, the show that I put myself on tape for up in Montreal. Uh, I forget the name of that, but another series that had a little uh, order to it. I'm not sure 13 or I'm not, I don't know what the order was or, you know, when they get picked up, you know, the mm-hmm. so I, they wanted me to go two days after Christmas quarantine for two weeks and then stay indefinitely until April. And, uh, I don't know if there was a get anyway. I, as much as I would have liked to go on up um, uh, Montreal, I have a family here and on the East Coast, and uh, they wouldn't, they don't allow you to, to leave. Uh, my mom's ninety, going to be ninety-seven next month, and she had my niece, uh, God love her, and her husband, and four kids all had COVID in the house. Oh, wow. we, we moved my mom out of this assisted living, and and my niece and her husband most beautiful people but we all put this you know part of their house a little ramp and or made it accessible for my mom and um so my mom has the antibodies she never got covid but she's got the antibodies at, at, at 97 right. uh yeah so um we're all i'm healthy everybody's healthy uh, my wife just had it um so i think i might have the antibodies i think i'm gonna uh, get a get a test uh, yeah. So, yeah so my life during covid has been um, how I kind of like it, you know, uh, there were some job opportunities, but I fortunately ducked, ducked them. <laughs> and I was <laughs> able to surf a lot and bird watch and, you know, bike ride and go up and goof around the woods and meet my friends down the harbor and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done. Well, done. Um, well, now, of course, we are just so thrilled that you are to be making your YNR debut as Ashland Locke. So tell us how the job came about. You know, through my wonderful agency, uh, Innovative Artists, uh, a young fellow named uh, Neville King, I believe, um, uh, he had come down to see me in a couple plays I did down at the Laguna Beach Playhouse. And I think he realized I, you know, wasn't such a hack. And then uh, he, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I, I'm kidding. I just wanted to mention his name and Laguna Playhouse. Uh, we never talked about that, but um, uh, so yeah, it just came up uh, that I, how my name got bandied about, I have no idea. It might have been on the heels of the show getting canceled, or, or, or rather not do. I don't know. The one I got, I couldn't do because of COVID. I don't think so. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. To answer your question, I don't know. But but my name came up, and uh, they they called and said, you know, there, you, there's an offer for you to do Young and the Restless, and um, there's really no big commitment, um, super loose. And, um, and I said, God, that sounds awesome. I don't have to go at it. I, I, you know, I, I didn't have to travel. I didn't have to quarantine. <clears throat> um, and the hours are brilliant. Um, I, I, I love uh, daytime hours. And I love the, the challenge. You know, uh, it, it is, like I said, my favorite crucible because it's so intense. It's like, you know, back in the day it was live. So, you know, it still has that sort of like, hey, let's, you know, you got to get your crap together and really like, you know, one take is probably the best, but, you know, we'll give you two or three if you really need it, which is so different than that you get kind of lazy in, in nighttime or in film because you get you get so much latitude. Certain directors, you know, they like to get one or two takes. I hear that's how, how Clint Eastwood likes to work. But so, yeah, when I when I was when I heard about YNR, I just jumped at it. I hadn't done it. And um, it, yeah, it was nice to know that uh, I was still wanted in daytime. Mm-hmm. Now, had you ever been up for a role on YNR that you're aware of, or had YNR ever come into your world before this? 
No, I just spoke to a guy named, he, his stage name is Hank Shane, but his real name is Hank Garcia. And uh, he and I had worked on Another World together. And so he and his wife, Missy Hughes, mm-hmm. uh, we all worked on Another World. And uh, he was on YNR back in 86 before, or five or 86 before he did Another World. So he's the only one. But I had met Peter uh, Bergman, Bergman, Bergman uh, in something. Uh, and I had worked with Jason. Um, on something on, on general hospital. Um, but that it killed his ex fiance. I did. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was married. I killed and I died. Like, yeah. Hospital. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So that, I, that's all I knew. And I, I met, I remember Peter was just a lovely guy when I met him. I forget what it was for some, my press junket or through a mutual friend. Um, but that was my only experience with uh, YNR. I was, I, you know, I'd flip around during the day sometimes and watch it. And I, I always loved uh, Eric's work. And um, so, you'll, I mean, tangentially, I'm, I'm sitting in the dressing room. I'm si- sitting in um, Doug Davidson. I haven't met him yet, but I've been in his dressing room. And so, uh, you know, I realized how long he's been on the show. And I, I, I was, I'm just astounded by the longevity and the, the fortitude to stay with that. And I'm noticing he's got a lot of books on chess. So we, I imagine he's a really cerebral guy and I hear nice things about him. So they gave me a, a manila envelope and I thought it was a script, but it happened to be Melody's Thomas Scott book and I couldn't put it down. And here's another woman who's been on for oh, yeah. you know, 40 plus years. And I, I, my, I, it was jaw-droppingly compelling reading her story. and. Uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, um, I just have such compassion and, and respect for these my my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I want to hear you. You mentioned what a lovely guy Eric is, but you also mentioned that you had flipped channels. You caught him as Victor Newman. So what is the expectation versus reality when you meet Eric Braden when you know him as Victor Newman? You know, it's kind of like when I, when I, I hadn't really had the same, um, what's his name who plays Sonny? The same, because I never watched him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember the people talking about it when I was about to go on it. And, say, and so I thought, wow, you know, he's probably going to be a really pompous. And I, Eric is so handsome and has this gravitas. And I thought, oh, he's probably going to be this pompous, good looking fellow that, you know. Um, and I try and take the piss out of him. But it just like as soon as I met him, he takes the piss out of me. <laughs> I love him so much. He's like, yeah. So I watch him. And I'm like, Gosh, he's just so good, and I get it. <laughs> you know, I, I every now and again, you sit in the dressing room, you're flipping channels for years and years, and you're like, oh, there he is, man. That guy, and he still hasn't aged. He's so bloody handsome. God Almighty. <laughs> so yeah, I I I have I have such respect for him, and he's such a goofball. He's so <laughs> funny. Oh my God, what a sweetheart. Maurice is another goofball. Maurice is a real sweetheart too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as goofballs come, I think Braden could out, 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 uh, out yeah, goof, goof him. Uh, yeah, he's just, yeah, he's just I don't know. Maurice is he's a really he's sweet, but you know, there's always that side. You're not really sure what's going to happen next. <laughs> um, now, what appealed to you about the character of Ashland? You know that I that storyline of because I'm remarried and I have a younger wife and, and, and what it would be like, <clears throat> you know, and, and I have a child that I'm raising that's not mine, but and biologically, but I'm raising him like my own. And, uh, you know, I really had to make that conscious choice. And I had to, I have two of my own biological kids and, um, 
um, and it, 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 it was hard to, to sort of blend it all at first, you know, as, as, you know, second marriages can be and blended families can be. Um, and so I remember the difficulties, uh, but then the joy of swan diving into that. And so then I reverse engineered that, you know, what would it be like to have a child that you think is your own? And it's not. And would it change your love for him, you know? If my firstborn, you know, I was just talking about this yesterday. Your firstborn is such a miracle and it's such a life changing, life affirming, pins you up against the wall and you realize your uh, humanity and the frailty and fragility of life. And, uh, you know, to, to have some, uh, well, what would it be like if that was all of a sudden the rug was slipped out from under you that this is not yours? Would that, would that change? Uh, how would that? Yeah. So I'm, it's interesting, the, the little inner journey I'm on with this. Well, tell us what it was like to walk to the, you know, walk onto the set the first day, walk into the building the first day. I know you mentioned running into an old stage manager, but we want to hear the whole experience that you had. Well, it's all, it's all strange because we're doing these rehearsals. So I never really got to, to connect with anybody because everybody's got masks on. And, and it's sort of good on some level. It's almost as if you... You, you just connect energetically and you don't have to, you know, be sized up or size anybody up. And um, everybody was super lovely and, and welcoming. Um, and, you know, I always show up hat in hand and wanting to uh, participate in a collective effort. It ain't about me. And um, but by the same token, it's like, what can we all bring that is about us that, you know, we, we blend in with this collectivization. Uh, and um, <clears throat> yeah, it was weird then doing the scene and people are completely different. <laughs> and so like, wow. And, and, and so I would get lost. I, I mean, I, I don't think, I think I, I think I went through the first day without screwing up, which was, I, I really prepared for it. Uh, cause I hadn't done a, a, a daytime in a while and, and had to, um, in, inhale and, and digest or all that dialogue. Although I've been putting myself on tape for self tapes, you know, throughout this COVID time. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, um, I was a little nervous that I would, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I really was, uh, prepared and, and I still, I, I and I still approach it that way every day, um, and want to work it. And everybody's just really wanting to like, Hey man, don't ever feel like I would be like, come on, you know, just knock on my door. Just if I'm sitting there having whatever, a cup of coffee, you can't get a cup of coffee anymore on set. Or like you've got these little boxes of water, but everybody's you know very encouraging and inviting in so far as rehearsing and um, yeah, so it wasn't much fanfare and as it shouldn't be. Um, uh, it's another day at the office, you know, just a group of lovely people all collectively uh, trying to make a buck and make people entertained uh, during this crazy time. Mm-hmm. Well, we know Ashlyn's coming to town to hear bids from the parties vying to buy his company, and it's really put you right in the middle of some Y&R heavy hitters. So what was it like to sort of, you know, come on and be like right in the thick of things story-wise? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Um, I'm, I guess I'm sort of used to that, showing up and, and working with uh, big names or powerful people in, in their field. Um, and so I felt really well dressed and uh, the, everything was working well. I think I looked good enough from uh, the, the sort of outside point of view and my inner world felt, you know, really right there with the, with the whole process. Um, I, as I said, I hadn't 
really known a, a couple of uh, all the other actors except Jason and what I had seen uh, Eric um, and and then the gal who played my wife was recast for some reason I'm not sure but uh, so um, yeah I was, I was really um, what's the word I'm looking for impressed by um, Michael the gentleman who plays Kyle and his professionalism, and a lot of the younger actors, as I was told also by, by the, I think the wardrobe gentleman, uh, who said, you know, these, these kids are really like squared away. And, um, and then meeting Eric, uh, it was just, it was just, you know, we wanted to talk about Seinfeld and, yeah. and just goof around. <laughs> and, uh, so it, I was immediately put at ease and, um, um, hopefully I did that for everybody as well, because I, I just, you know, love the process and, I might leave my ego at the door. Mm-hmm. Well, we know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, and just trust that you know, hair and makeup and wardrobe make me look somewhat presentable. I have seen photos already from the set. You look fantastic. Yeah. So, spoiler alert: you look great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, YNR fans should brace themselves. Shocker: Richard Berge is going to look super handsome. You got your rocking the turtleneck blazer thing. It's all happening for you. Right? Yeah. No, I had one of the guys, I guess he works on Price is Right, and he, he walked by and goes, and I really like that turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, how often do you see a turtleneck? <laughs> That's right. Not often enough. They're, so, coming uh, back. They're coming back. That's right. Dick Burton, I bring back the turtleneck. So um, we know just in the, the lead up to Ashlyn coming up that, uh, you know, Tara, Ashlyn's wife, has this history with uh with Kyle so how would you describe like the marital dynamic that you've been tasked with playing well you know you take a page out of what you sort of see in 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 people's lives if they've had a second marriage both the good and the uh the difficult and um so yeah you know it was hard because we because she was there one and done my original wife and then the second wife we you know we talk and you you have to keep distance and so you you know I kind of I the lady who's playing my wife now um, she's really interesting she's she was a social worker so we got to talk about you know therapy and children and family she's a she was a family therapist and um so, you know, you kind of have to, uh, my desire is to kind of get to sort of know the person um, past what I think is the projected character. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just sort of an amalgam of some relationships I've seen either, you know, in um, either politics or in my life um, with, with that older man, younger woman uh, dynamic. And um, I, I don't have a problem playing a cliche. <laughs> so, and, and I just, you know, try and, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a combo platter of things um, that I'm just goofing around with. Uh, what would compel her to have an affair? Uh, you know, w- what could I do to support that storyline or create some context that would give a, you know, a, a relationship, a reason for discord? And, um, yeah. Okay. Well, anything else you can tease for the YNR audience about what is going on or what we should know about Mr. Ashlyn Locke? Well, the last script I read, um, Kyle has come back to uh, really confront me. And um, I hope he doesn't hit me because he's a pretty strong guy. (laughs) You know, they teased something with the gal that I had worked with on GH, Michelle Stafford, who's just a kick. 
And uh, they, te- I was like, oh, are they teasing me? They're like, we did it like a thing and a little scene. And I wasn't sure if that was, you know, they're throwing some seeds out there. But who, who knows? I don't ask. And That'd be great. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really fun. Um, but yeah, they've, they've kind of uh, had me with a, a few people. So I don't, I, he's just, he's, a, he, he's looking to stir up pot in, in more ways than one. Peter and I have had a lot of fun together, but, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm poking the bears. I'm poking, you know, at their, uh, at their, uh, inner soul characters. And I, I said, I, I, I'm glad that, uh, we're six feet apart in social distancing. Um, there's somebody on the set making sure that happens. Cause I'm sure that Jack and, and Kyle would like to take a swipe at Ashland. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I just love about you is that for all of the incredible diverse success you've had in primetime television, you still come back and visit us in daytime television. And I, you know, I just find it interesting that, that you still have such a uh, appreciation and love for the genre. Well, yeah, that's, that's really sweet. Yeah. I, I, like I said, um, and I would tell anybody this anytime I, I respect daytime actors more, more than any other actor. I mean, I, they're the hardest working, the most humble for the most part, and super talented uh, out of, you know, I've, <laughs> I've done it all. Done um, it all. And, and, I, and for me, as an actor, it's the most challenging. It's the closest thing to doing a show live, uh, you know, because you got to keep your sword sharp, as the uh, Zen master said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I love daytime. I'm glad to be back. Well, Richard, it was so much fun to hear your stories and catch up with you. We cannot wait for your Young and Restless debut. And thanks so much for all your time today. Well, I hope I don't let you down. You guys have been amazing. This has been such a fun uh, time of of my life and uh, a great morning with you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Richard Berge for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Podcast.